to the Toffee Blues podcast, your source for all things Everton. My name's Thomas, uh, bringing you the rundown for the podcast today. It's a bit, uh, a bit of a different one. Plenty of people contributed to this week's podcast. We've got different segments for you. Uh, first off, we're going to start with the tactic talk um, that Terry, uh, James and Owen did. Um, after that, there's going to be a retro rumours video again with James, Terry and Owen. Uh, then a derby preview with Terry and we're joined by Rob Aston as well. And of course, we're going to round it off uh, with our classic Toffee Blues quiz. Uh, so we're going to get straight into the first uh, segment now. Um, so I think I'm going to hand it over to Owen to introduce that. Uh, and, we'll be, and I'll be back later to talk about the Derby preview. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Toppy Blues Tactic Show, which will be hosted by me for a change, because obviously James is hosting so good. They've asked me to um, host this one and talk about tactics and everything and possession and attack and metrics and possession and number of passes and XG and all this kind of mad stuff. Yes, because my, 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 my tactical knowledge doesn't really go beyond, like, you know, kicking in the goal. It isn't hard. Yeah, well, looking into the dark heart side of the game, I've actually become a bit of, I've, I've become a, bit of a um, football nerd, and I, I don't really like saying that, but I will say it amongst these courses, and it's absolutely fine for me to say that. Other than that, um, I'm obviously going to welcome in James and Terry. Are you both doing all right? Yeah, not bad at all, mate. Uh, see, see for all the miserable stuff going around in this city right now. Yeah, yeah. everything, everything's uh, at least on the football front going well so far. Everyone's fit and healthy so far. Fingers crossed. Touch words, all that good stuff. Well, that that being other than John Philippe Gabamin, who the Echo reporting could be out until January. 2028, I presume that means because I don't think we'll see him in 2021. But uh, he might be an interesting player to look at in future episodes, seeing how he could possibly fit in the 17. But what we will do is we'll start by the team selection. So um, obviously, John Pickford's been in goal for every game so far this season. Um, Seamus Coleman, Michael Keane, um, Yerry Mina, Luca Dean this makes up the back four. Alan screens the the uh, back four and Hammers, Decore, Gomez and Richardson play as a flat four, well, a two and then a, another two in midfield. And then Dominic Alvaloon um, has been leading the line up front so far for Everton. But I want to start with Alan. And I think he's probably the most interesting new element of this team so far this season because last season Everton didn't have any protection to the back four. Literally, I'd probably say most of the season, and if not, it was when Morgan Schneiderlin was sold. Because, in the simplest terms, Morgan Schneiderlin was a whole midfielder, and we didn't have anyone post lockdown. So basically, we resorted to missing the midfield out and just hoping that teams would miss their chances, which sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But Alan, I think he's been a really interesting new element to this team. Obviously, he's won lots of the ball back. He's Good moving the ball as well, um, protected the back four. But I think I'll start with Terry for this one. 
Have you no have you noticed anything new what Allen's give us which wasn't there last season? Energy more than anything. He's sort of slotted straight into that Drissa Garner Gay type role, hasn't he? Now Drissa Gay didn't play as a strict six, he was in a double pivot for almost his whole time here. Like most of the time he'd be with Schneidlin as the six and he'd just be, you know, basically leg- legging it everywhere, putting tackles in and do- making ball recoveries. That's the kind of role I thought Alan would be in. I thought we'd go for someone else in a, in a more conventional six role. But no, it, it, Alan, Alan's ball recovery is tonight. He is pressing as well. It's caught him out a couple of times, but he's pressing quite high. But he is quite far and away the best tackler in the whole side. He, he recovers the ball better than anyone else and he pressures the ball better than most of the opposite most of the team. So just that sort of dynamism and energy is what I'd say he's added, which was completely lacking when he wasn't there. Definitely, I think Decore as well. I think you talk about Alan being the best tackler, but Decore can't be far behind. I think he adds a bit of that as well. Yeah, I think what I've been really impressed with this season with Evans midfield is the general mobility of the team. I think last season we really struggled to get from one end of the pitch to the other, and that was due to mainly the midfield. So we were missing the uh, midfield out a lot. We were getting the ball out wide a lot, a lot of crosses. I think last season we completed the fewest passes per shot, per cross, sorry. So basically we're, we were just getting the ball to Luca Dean, Bernard, whoever in the final third, and we were just trying to get the ball in the box of Calvaloon and Richarlison when Carlo took over, I think. That had, that had a success because we got points through it and obviously sort of almost going back to basics really got us points. But then once lockdown came and then when we returned, it really lost its touch. So I felt like this season we needed a lot more composure, a lot more patience on the ball. And that, that's borne out really in the possession stats because last season Everton were 11th in the Premier League for possession, completing well with 49% average possession. That includes Marco Silva as well, I think. Obviously, he was a highly um, a manager who liked keeping the ball a lot. I think we had a lot of 600-pass games under him. Didn't really go anywhere with it. Carlo, obviously, I think that, that it went down when Carlo came in and we sat behind the ball a bit more. And Duncan, obviously, we had two, a lot of 250-pass games with Duncan just blood and thunder football. But so far this season, we're seventh for possession in the league, just over 50%. Um, which is a sizable improvement on last season. I think Brighton and Spurs were the two games where we didn't have much of the ball, but last season we averaged 358 passes per game and this season it's been 525. Okay, it's a shorter sample size this season, but we really are sort of controlling games a lot more. And The person I'd like to pick out to um, discuss our compass in possession would be James Rodriguez. James, I'll go to you on this one. Um, do you do you think Hammers is can do you think Hammers has improved our sort of ability to keep the ball a lot better? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I did a little piece on Hammers Rodriguez a few days ago where I said his presence in the team and I've often compared his arrival here since he's been here to Mikel Arteta when he came in and his ability on the ball composes <laughs> composes the other players around him. Which not only that he's so good at retaining the ball, his ability to retain the ball and the trust that players have in him make other players more confident on the ball, and that's helping us to retain possession a lot longer. I think. 
Yeah, I, I think the real key thing for me with Hammers is if you have a look at sort of Everton's attacking directions this season, 46% has gone down the left-hand side, which if you compare that to last season, literally everything went down Luca Dean's side. It's only 46% so far this season, and I think that's mainly because of Hammers's switching a play. So do you, do you think, Terry, this season we've become a lot more of a balanced team in the way we attack than from last season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the change of formation helps as well. Like we've we've switched from four four two to like a sort of four three three, and obviously the creative outlet, as you say, is is James Rodriguez. So he's the go to player for the ball now. Um, so you could you could hear it in the um, who's we played last Brighton game. You just heard Coleman all game. James, James, give it to James because every time he gets it. He won't lose it, or he'll either be fouled and draw the foul, or he'll he'll find his man like the man, even in the most unlikely scenarios. But now it's not just a predictable switch. You know, get the ball at the back, pass it to Luca Dean, move it up to Bernard's or whoever, switch it inside, back out to Bernard's cross. It's it's what do you do? Like if you shift over to the right, to a, if you're an opposition team to sort of smother Hamas Rodriguez. You risk him switching it to Richarlison and Luca Dean, two of our other good players on the other side. And if you shift the other way, you've leaving Hamas Rodriguez in space, which is just like you don't want to be doing that to you. So it has balanced the team completely creatively, um, and it's it's just gave opposition teams a problem as well on how best to set up against Everton because. It's there's so much danger from different places. Like there's right across the front three, and down both flanks, there's attack and threat. Yeah, I'll come to James first on this question. Um, I'll forget Hammers, Alan, and Decore, um, and obviously Ben Godfrey and Olsen. We can't really judge them; they haven't seen them play. Who would you say from the team last season's benefited the most from the new players and the new formation this season? Uh, for me, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Andre Gomez, whoever plays, they seem to play that sort of role in this team. But those are two very creative players who are defensively very limited. And the addition of Alan and Decore in that midfield three alongside them has given them a lot more protection. And you're seeing Gilfie Sigurdsson playing the way he played in his first two seasons here again, where he's a lot, a lot more relaxed on the ball. He's showing his creative ability. Andre Gomez is also showing his composure on the ball. He doesn't seem to, he doesn't have to do a lot of the dirty work, which neither of those two could not only be comfortable doing, but let's be honest, the work rates aren't fantastic. And they were never really those kind of players who were going to muck in and do that. But we're seeing them play into their own strengths again now. And that's really, that's benefited us a lot. You've seen Gomez play a lot more like his old self and Sigurdsson in particular, I think, getting a lot more involved with goals and assists this season. I think that's yeah. really that's really benefited us in terms from a creative standpoint. Yeah, I, obviously people who follow me on Twitter and on this will know that I'm not a huge Andre Gomez fan. I think sometimes he's a bit lax defensively and I think sometimes his passing I don't think is incisive enough. But I will admit I think this season I think he's probably been one of two real benefactors for the new system. I think he's one because he can just do his job, which is to keep the ball while Abdullah Decore drives it forward. And I think the other one for me, and I'll go to Terry on this one, is Seamus Coleman. I think last season he was 
pretty much a right back who was asked to be a third centre back. I think this time he's basically playing on the opposition's at the edge of the opposition box. Um, have you noticed anything different about Seamus Coleman this season? And if if so, what? He's got like attack and freedom again. We we a lot like you said. We saw him change to a sort of you know auxiliary you know third centre back with the four four two formation. Like when in possession, we we switched to three four three. Whereas now he's more of an orthodox you know full back in a four three three with a tucked in winger. Now he hasn't suddenly become, you know, his twenty fifteen self where he's bombing up and down the wing and taking everyone else on. But he is going up the pitch more. He does complement Hammers um in both ways, I think. He's he got he you know he assists him in the attacking, you know, side of things. There could be other, you know, fullbacks who do that more, you know, younger fullbacks with more pace who can get up and down the wing a bit quicker. But I think he's He's ideal for sitting behind um, James Rodriguez. Did I say Andre Gomez before? No, you said Oh, did I? I thought so. James Rodriguez, because he covers him defensively. He works so hard defensively for a player who, let's be honest, he's not going to track back. He's not. His position is like a floating 10 coming in from the right-hand side. So that's a defensively weak area of the team. But also, as the club captain and a little bit more experienced, he tells Hammers to get in position and to track his man, which I don't think a younger centre, a younger right-back would do. So I think he's an ideal fit at the minute to go behind uh, Hammers on both sides of things. He can contribute, you know, attacking-wise. He's not as good as Luca Dean, obviously, or even as good as he used to be himself. But you saw against Crystal Palace, he can still he can still get beyond his um, his marker and put the ball in the box. So it's he's benefited a lot just from he's always been an attacking fullback, Seamus. He he's learning to be better defensively as he's getting older, which happens to a lot of defenders. But his natural game is to go up and down. Definitely. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot more myself. I think obviously he previously he was some uh, basically a right back who was also a winger. I think now obviously Carlos dropped them back a bit further to sort of help the team out defensively. Obviously with Hamez in the team, but I've I've been a lot more impressed by Seamus this season. I think he got some unfair stick. I think towards the second half of last season because of from me mainly. Yeah, from mostly the sort of media mouthpieces he used to churn out every week. I think now he he sort of he sort of backing her up with performances. My issue with him previously was he would go in the media say how oh, bad everything was, and then he would be literally the first culprit for terrible performances. Yeah, I that think was now my head peeve. Yeah, that it did my head into, and I did want a new right back this summer mainly because I don't rate John Joe Kenny not as much Seamus, but. I think going forward, I think he can be someone for this season. We can keep him fit in this system. I think he really does, Susan. Yeah. And I then, think, yeah. Go yeah, on. Sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, what I, what I was basically going to say is that I think we've spoke about Alan and Decore a lot already on this show, but I think having those two athletic players to provide the cover gives him more license to go forwards as well. Yeah, yeah. We had no protection. He had to help protect the centre backs last year because the midfield weren't going to do it. Yeah, and I think that's borne out through. I think his the improvements in his game 
has also coincided with the fact that we've been going down the right a lot more with our attacking sort of moves this season. I think he didn't really get forward a lot last season. He was basically standing next to Keane and Mina for most of the season when he was playing. Obviously, Walcott would play out there or Awobi and they weren't really sort of effective in the way we play now. Um, so I think with Hammers obviously dominating the game, scoring goals, assists, creating chances, obviously switching the play and Seamus bombing on, I think that's given us a lot more balance this season and I think that's the biggest change in our play for me this season is the balance in which we attack. I think everything was so one-sided and so sort of rigid last season. I feel now we're a lot more of a fluid team to watch and I feel like that's one of the biggest improvements so far this season is the sort of the change in the, our style of play from being a team that just got cross gets crosses in the box to a team with a, a pattern of play and I think it's really good to see. Um, something I wanted to bring up before and I forgot when we were talking about the passing and I think this is really important is that last season we had a 78% pass completion rate which really if we're comparing it that's basically the same pass completion rate as Crystal Palace. So after we were really a team last season that got the ball direct a lot. This season, it's almost 87%, 86.5%. That's a real good number for a team in the Premier League. And I think the reason I think that's gone down a bit was because of the, um, we went into a bit of a low block against Brighton in the second half. Part of, I think if you went before that, it'd be about 90%. So, um, do you, I'll go to Terry. Do you think, I mentioned Hamas before in terms of him, him being able to keep the ball, but is there anything else you think that has helped us be so much better in possession this season? It's, it's going to sound like an easy answer, but better better players. Like, uh, it's like Hamas. You know, you can tell when you just watch the game, he's a class apart from everyone else. Like, he doesn't lose the ball ever. Like, you can probably count on your, on your hand how many times he's lost the ball in the games he's played so far. But then you add to that as well, like Decore, people point out, well, like, Decore's lost the ball a few times. Going, yeah, it sticks out because he doesn't most of the time. He's really good at retaining the ball. So is Alan. Alan. Um, but James is, is the main one. I always remember. I mean, not as good as, as Rodriguez, obviously, but uh, Stephen Pienaar had a role like that in the David Moyes teams. Under pressure, when you're trying to recycle and retain the ball, give it to Pienaar, and he'll either move the ball on or he'll get fouled and win the set piece for you. And I think we're using Hammers in that sort of same role. And, and as you touched on before, you know, other players whose performances dropped massively last season have, have picked up again, who were good ball players. Like Guilty Sigurdsson has got the ability to be a fantastic ball player. And Andre Gomez, we all know that's the reason everyone loves him because he's so smooth and silky on the ball. That they sort of get lets people forgive a lot of his other sins. But um, yeah, we've got good footballers, good ball players. What we didn't have was the the that's strength and, and athleticism side of things. And now that we've addressed that, it's sort of the rising tide has lifted all ships. So the better footballers are allowed to play better football now. In, in a entire cliche. <laughs> Yes, so um, obviously I think we're better in possession, we're better creating chances and I think something that this isn't just a 2021 season thing but more of a Carlo Ancelotti thing is how brilliant we are at set pieces. Obviously I want to come first defending set pieces 
have we noticed our brilliant sort of shape and defending crosses into the box? It, it's inexplicable. I think it's like three blockers at the back and two to meet it. Um, I'll go to James with this. Have you noticed the new set-piece routine? Uh, I haven't, to be honest. And, of course, I think we conceded a goal from a corner against Crystal Palace, didn't we, Czech and Piate? But, I mean, I think that maybe maybe that sort of blindsided me from the fact that we've been de- defending set-piece as well. But I've not necessarily paid much attention to our defensive set-pieces. I've just been grateful that we haven't been conceding loads like we were under Marco Silver, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's really been noticeable. I think Gary Neville during the Spurs game commented on the saying how unorthodox it was. It, it's literally something. It's normally you have a straight line, but not. But this time we, we there's an offside trap going on. There's all kinds going on. Um, I'm just trying to get an image up so I can um, explain it properly. But basically, we are a lot better at meeting the ball from set pieces, and so far this season. We have apparently scored five goals from set pieces, so I think that's something really positive that we're scoring a lot more goals from set pieces. Um, I'll go to Terry on this one. Do, do you, obviously, Roberto Martinez will be hating the fact we're scoring so many set piece goals, but have you have you noticed an improvement in our set piece routines? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just quickly before I go on to the attack, that the, the defense, I, I only noticed it when Gary Neville pointed it out. Um, yeah. It is interesting, like it's not. You don't see other other teams doing it, but it's a massive improvement because, as as James said, you know we got to stop conceding because under Marco Silva, getting a corner for the opposition was as good as getting a penalty because we just kept shipping goals constantly, and he sorted that right out. And, it, and it's clearly a coaching thing that he sorted out. It wasn't a personnel thing. It's the same defenders, but on attacking, I've thought. For like a couple of years, why aren't we what we are now? The best like set piece attacking team in the league. Because we've got Gilfie Sigurdsson, we've got Luca Dean, now we've got James Rodriguez, and we've got players in the team like Yeri Mina, lesser so Michael Keane until recently, but like you know, good and Dominic Calvert Lewin, good attackers of the ball with the head. And we just like I'm, Yeri Mina scored like until the last match, he'd scored like two. He'd scored a header off a set piece in two games, three if you count the, if you were to count the one that was ruled out for off, you know for something it wasn't offside but ruled out for something against Sheffield United. Um, yeah, we've got good set piece attackers in the team like Mina, and we've got good set piece takers like Sigurdsson and Dean and whoever else. We're finally starting to see the, the benefit of that. We're starting to like cons- score consistently from corners, score consistently from pieces. You know the good, you know, the very very best teams like the Liverpool's, not less so City because they don't they're not set up for that. But you know the Liverpool's will always score from set pieces because they've got the best players in the league and they're the best team in the league. Outside of that, you look who's got specialists, and it sh- you know it should have been us all along. And finally, a manager has probably sat down and went, "How do you never minute. score?" I just never score from corners because you've got Sigurdsson taking them, Dean taking them on the other side, and Yeri Mina and Michael Keane and Dominic Calvert-Lewin standing in the box, and it's just been addressed like that. We, we, I, I think we're dangerous every time we get a corner. I'm, I'm watching it with the expectation of yeah, a goal. I'm, I'm feeling confident now. We get a corner. Yeah, whenever we get a corner, I think good chance. This I don't. I feel now the way other teams must have felt whenever they got one against us under Marco Silva. I feel like we're yeah. good for the goal. No, it's a bit like I think it was like this when obviously 
I wasn't around then, but like when Joe Royal was the manager and we had Duncan Ferguson in the box and Andy Inchcliffe whipping them in. Yeah, it's a bit like in the 90s when Andy Inchcliffe had a corner, you whip it into Duncan Ferguson. It, was, it felt like for fans in Goodison at that time, it was, they sort of said it felt as good as getting a penalty sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to bring up from the gender and say, look, look at Burnley, look at Stoke of Old. They after they got come from set pieces. It's not it's one of Owen's shows. Really important part of the game. Don't let <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. You've got to look at it and you've got to say Roberto Martinez was wrong. Don't practice your set pieces. Playing percentage. Our Paul was finished with him when he said that. He literally, that was where our Paul's wanted him dead ever since he heard that. Since <laughs> what? The aim. Um, the, the don't, pra- don't practice set pieces in training. Yeah, don't practice set pieces because you only get them a certain amount of times during the match. And Paul just basically washed his hands of Martinez when he heard that and said, How can a professional manager in the Premier League say something as stupid as that? And yeah, I was like, I've got up here the the sort of like an image of our set piece routine against Tottenham. We've done it pretty much every game since, but it's basically a mix between man marking and zonal. So we've got four at the front, which is Sigurd. I can't even see where it is because it's blurry, but four at the front, which is to meet the ball essentially, and then four man marking at the back to sort of if you get a pass there. Attract the runners, so it's, it looks unorthodox, but it's pretty simple, really. Players there to meet the ball, or players there to stop one of the opposition winning the ball. It's worked. I don't think we've conceded many, apart from the Palace game. We say it looks unorthodox, but obviously, it's something that it's working. And then I just want to finish this sort of video talking about um, our centre backs because we can talk about Carvaloon and his goals. It's one touch finishing in the box. It comes from brilliant build up play and him getting in the right positions. I think we can all agree. But I think Yeri Mina and Michael Keane, the blocking these two go through it is ridiculous. The, I think some. I think if it weren't for how dominant we've been in games, I think they would lead the blocks and the interceptions this season because they've been so good. I think I will go to James on this. Um, Michael Keane, Yeri Mina, been impressive, hasn't he? Yeah, especially Michael Keane. I'd say. I think he's been absolutely excellent. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been times where the thought he's looked a bit off, but mostly very good. But Michael Keane's been excellent. I think yeah. in particular, he's he's been brilliant. And I think it's good because we've needed two centre-backs to really turn up lately because of the mistakes from the man behind him. Yeah, I think we, we've talked a lot in this show about how brilliant and innovative and creative we've been so far this season. But... For me, the, uh, my, the most impressive half an hour for everything this season was home to Brighton the other week. The last half an hour, we just headed everything out the box, went in the air, Don chased it. Even Carlos said in the last half an hour, we employed a low block. And I think that I think that's finally me just saying, I'm not willing to take any criticism from this manager ever. He used the word low block talking about everything. Terry, you know how happy that makes me feel. Now talk about Michael Keane and how brilliant he's been. <laughs> Do you know what? I've I've been back and forth on Michael Keane. When after his first season, I was one of the people who was, you know, 
in Keane's camp going, no, no, we haven't seen the best of him. You know, he's been injured, he's been, you know, misused and, well, especially injured. He had an injury on and off, didn't he, throughout the whole season. And then his second season, and th- um, how many, have we had him three? This is, th- this is fourth. This is fourth, yeah. Yeah, so after his, sec- after his second season, I sort of like went, you know what, I was wrong and I went off him. And I'd been off him last season until Carlo Ancelotti came in. And much like, you know, Calvert-Lewin has and, you know, Mason Algate has, he's just become a different player under this manager. And I don't know whether it's confidence thing, I don't know whether it's a clear instruction thing, whether it's, it's um, he's, you know... Tactical thing where you know we were playing in a style that suits him, but he's turned into a quality player. He's suddenly because he he's scoring more goals with his head than Yeri Mina is. How would have predicted that? Because you know, Keane at one point had the worst fifty pence heads I've ever known. And it, uh, defensively, he speaks for himself. It, we there was a there was prevailing sort of opinion, and I added it myself that it's only any good if you're going to play Owen's low block. He's only ever any good if you're sitting on the edge of your own box, getting battered by a better team, and he'll just head everything away and like you know defend like that. But if you ever want to be on the front foot, if you ever want to control the game, he's useless. He's nervous. Look at the pass for the FA for the Carlin Cup, oh, the Carabao Cup game, whatever it's called, against West Ham. I nearly called which, it the Milk Cup. The Milk Cup. <laughs> the um, the Worthington Cup. Look at the pass he did for that. Um, but. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. That's the type of pass we used to, well, people used to lord John Stones for. I'm sure Owen didn't. But um, that's no, what, that's him. Um, that was quality. That was, that was like Beckenbauer type pass, you know, just a little chip over the top to set the striker free. Like, wow, he's become a different player. And if you can keep this form up, brilliant. Because as far as I'm concerned, and I've said this to you guys, you know, off camera, if you, if you've been brought in by this manager or you've signed a new contract under this manager, then for me, you're one of their players. Then I don't think of Michael Keane now as a, you know, Ronald Koeman by, you know, when you look at the squad and go, well, it's a patchwork of everyone's players. If you've had a name, a contract given to you under this manager, you're one of Carlo's men. So I I look at it and go, right, Tom, Richarlison, um, you know, Keane, Anthony Gordon, you know, obviously the new players that he's that, you know, have been bought, they're all Carlos men. I'm pretty sure Luca Dean will get one soon as well. That's his squad. And he tr- clearly trusts Keane enough to give him a fire, you know, have him up until twenty twenty five and build his defence around him. So that's good enough for me. This is a manager who's seen some of the best defenders ever in football. This manager coached Maldini and Nestor and people like that. So he knows a centre-back when he sees one and he trusts Michael Keane. So I think the jury is now in on Keane and it's uh, it's positive. Historically, I've always, I was a fan of Michael Keane when we bought him because I'm a big fan of centre-backs for Burnley and I thought he's just going to organise us straight away. He'll know how to defend. He'll know how to take the sting out of games and he'll be brilliant. It's only now we're really seeing that. I think he's, he's struggled at times, I think. Silver's suicidal high lines in Nelson, I must admit. Cooman just spending half the time in the golf course and really coaching like Sean Dyche did, didn't help him. I think Sam Allardyce, I think it should have really suited him under Sam Allardyce, but we got battered that much. He was really, didn't really seem to help him. I think now he's got a good balance. A, a, a managed who's given him confidence. 
for the first time since Sean Dyche. And obviously, I think going forward, he's, he's probably our number one centre-back at the moment. And I don't think anyone can really argue with that with his form. I think Mason Holgate was... But he, I still think... I think Carlo, I think if you look back on interviews, he's always name-dropped Michael Keane when he talks about defenders. So I, I think Michael Keane going forward will be our number one centre-back, I think. Yeah, so... I think we've both we've all enjoyed that talking about Everton's tactics so far. I mean, if we'd been getting beat, we probably wouldn't enjoy it. Welcome to another retro rumours segment where we're going to look back on Everton transfer rumours of yesteryear. We've got a few to get through. I'm joined by Terry and Owen for this one. And first of all, we're going to start with someone who's been heavily linked to the noisy neighbours this week. And that is goalkeeper Jack Butland. Once touted as England's number one. Uh, very much not the case nowadays. But back in January 2012, we were linked with Jack Butland when he was playing for Birmingham. He ends up actually getting selected in Roy Hodgson's Euro squad. Or Euro 2012, but at this point he'd barely been heard of. Very promising young keeper at Birmingham, and we were linked to them under David Moyes. Do you remember much about this one, Terry? Yeah, I remember being linked with him, but Birmingham, you know, as you can imagine, wanted massive money for him, and it was when we were of a mind not to be paying massive money for any player, never mind a goalkeeper. He, I was about to say he was a bullet dodged because he is absolutely pony, but. We didn't really dodge the bullet because we got the more upmarket one in Pickford, didn't we? We got the same player with a different name, but he's even worse than Pickford. Like he's he's doing all these stupid mistakes and letting goals go through in the championship now with Stoke. It's a weird career he's had as well because he was he was prized, you know, very highly at one point in his career, and he shouldn't have ever went to Stoke. I think it was a mistake to go to Stoke, um, and he also stayed at Stoke. I know it wasn't as simple as he stayed. You know, he might not have had the offers in that suited Stoke at the time, but now his stock has just felt so dramatically that, like, time and everything in football. So now, at one point, it would have been a coveted, high-priced goalkeeper. You know, probably couldn't give them away now. Put it this way, he might be going on loan somewhere in this little window to a Premier League club, probably as cover for their actual keeper, the same way Joe Hart's gone to it. It's Liverpool, that's this is where the links come from. They won't. They won't get him. I'll be amazed if they do. He's, he's worse than Adrian. He's worse than Adrian, and they're not going to do that. You know what, though? I think Jack Butler could be brilliant for Liverpool, you know, as long as he has a couple of inhalers on him. It'd be brilliant for Liverpool for us if he plays against us. Now that I've said that, he'll sign another worldie against us, but he's, he's worse than Adrian. He's absolutely shite. There is no way that they're going to get him. He's worse than me, and I can't even. I can't even just about book the all the gloves on. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> terrible. I mean, that game when we played Stoke, when we were under Allardyce, it was he was just literally flapping at everything. I was thinking, Jesus Christ, thank God! I, I was thinking, thank God we've got Pickford. Because yeah, famous last word. Yeah, that, that was the uh, the infamous Allardyce game where he was on the touchline with his hood up in the <laughs> snow, and he was licking the snuff from under. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> his nose was like dribbling from the cold oh. and he had and he was licking it and the cameras caught it and it was just like I was I remember sitting there thinking that's our manager. Man, Liverpool Liverpool at the time had Jürgen Klopp who was doing bits for them. And you know, he's obviously gone on to do even better, but it's like oh, we I, I, they had him and we're doing dead well and we had Sam Allardyce with Sammy Lee and I don't I like Sammy Lee from just meeting him in person I think he's an alright fella but I just thought this is depressing when the two management team we've got I prefer Sammy Lee out the two it's like <laughs> <laughs> Allardyce is just standing on the touchline with his hood up licking his top lip with snot on it and he's got those brown shoes on with bright red socks just like oh <laughs> what's just going and it was capped off by Jack Butland's goalkeeping performance and Paul Lambert, 1922 football, of just kicking everyone and Charlie Adam just choosing to get sent off. But we won and then people thought yeah. Toast was a capable... <laughs> deliberately, deliberately got sent off, didn't he, Charlie Adam? He, he, he looked, yeah, he looked around that pitch that day and thought, no, I just don't want to be here. I'd rather be in there at war. <laughs> That was horrible, that wasn't it? I'm not even, I'm not even talking about the play anymore. But that was so grim that Tosin was our best player at that point. Yeah, it was just, oh, it was absolutely freezing as well. The the two managers just didn't even want to be there. I don't think the fans didn't want to be there. It was just call the game off. Why don't you? But no, Jack <laughs> Butland's goalkeeping performance that day. I was right so in the middle. Uh, I was right in the middle of that like delete club year. That wasn't it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was just every every single time Allardyce was in front of a camera, he was sending Twitter into meltdown because he'd say something else fucking stupid or or he'd do something else. To pay. Everyone knew he was deliberately pissing off the supporters because he'd done oh, the same. No. That was after the game where he said we were an enthralling team to watch because Tosin got too <laughs> let go. <laughs> I love that game. <laughs> he was. Everyone knew he was deliberately winding the supporters up because he. Um, he admitted in his book that he did it to the West Ham fans who didn't like him, didn't he? But it didn't make it any less annoying when he was doing it. And I was falling for it every week. I was ranting and raving on Twitter every time he got in front of a camera because he'd just speak this absolute fucking nonsense that, like, you know, <laughs> denied reality. He'd, he'd, like, twist what happened into being this bullshit version of the reality and thinks anyone's going to buy it. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he'd God, do it Jack though. He'd, like, he'd, he'd, he'd play out the shittest game you've ever seen, and then he'd go on telly and in front, go on, in front of the cameras and go, "It was a great game. We played dead well. He was great." And you'd be like, "I've just watched it, mate. We weren't." And then all his mates in the media would turn round and go, "Well, yeah, it was yeah. great. What are you all moaning about?" Like it just goes to show that narrative. Everyone who says narratives in football, and you get people who scoff, going, "There's no narrative because everyone's version of a narrative is." Media or something hates our club, no matter who it is. I've heard Man United fans say the media hate them. Man like, United yeah. fans cannot. Even even Liverpool fans at times can go, well, maybe, but Manchester United. Well, Liverpool fans do think the media hates them, or they did. They might not now, but like they did at one point, and they're just like, you just can't see it. But for me, the crystallised version, the like event of narratives existing in football was when Allardyce was at Everton. All the media and the press moved heaven and earth to present this bollocks version of events to um like you know this this phony version of events just to have flattered Allardyce because all the journalists, all the pundits, they all knew him and they all liked him. And the fact that Everton fans didn't like him 
and he wasn't in the bottom like five. They were like, what more do they want? They've got a brass neck moaning about it, you know, Garth Crooks and all that. This was this was just right in the middle of that this game. I know we've gone off Butland massively, but uh, I used to hate it. He, he he would literally he would literally take a massive shit on your plate at the dinner table, and then everyone and like everyone else in the room going, look at that cheeseburger, isn't that lovely? Does like, no one else see this? Like, there's no one else like. Uh, on that note, we will get we will ask what more do we have from fans want? Well, apparently back in. January 2015, what more did Everton fans want than Ali Al Habsi from Wigan Athletic? Because that's what we're moving on to. Back in the days of Roberto Martinez signing the entire Wigan team, <laughs> apparently Ali Al Habsi was set to join us. So, yeah, of course, we, we were struggling at this point, I think, under Roberto Martinez. We, this was around the time when it was, the wheels were starting to fall off the Martinez wagon, and we were struggling. Tim Alves wasn't necessarily playing well, he had an injury. Rob Les was standing in. I think we needed some goalkeeping cover, so why not go back to Wigan and sign another rubbish player? And um, that was apparently the order of the day back in January 2015 when Roberto Martinez was expected to go back in for the Oman international goalkeeper. Oh, and do you remember the, us being linked with Ali Alabsi? Um, to be honest, no, I don't remember the links happening, but I remember Tim Howard being absolutely dreadful. So. I think any of us could have gone and gone and we wouldn't have been any worse. And even Joel Rob, no, 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 even Joel Robles. I think Ali Al Yeah, even Joel Robles, no, he wouldn't have been better because he was bad too. Um, Ali Al was that match of the day goalkeeper that when Wigan had them late surges at the end of the season under Martinez, he would look brilliant when he won away at Arsenal or Liverpool and he'd make 24 saves. But they wouldn't show him drop free in his neck. Your signals are the nightmare there, if you can hear me. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably saying, like, yeah, but we can't. In the next week against Norwich, he, he was literally, literally picked with both words, and he was a back goal. We even kept Joel Robles over Ali Alabsi. Got bad news for you. Can you when hear me? You said he'd make 24 saves, it was perfectly crystal clear. And then when you said what they didn't show you, you then completely like vanished. And then everything you said after that came through, I fast forward right at the end, like inside five seconds. To be fair, it was wow. someone saying he's picked with but worse, but in super fast. Yeah, well, you what you had that's literally can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can now. So you can you can start from when you said he'd made twenty four saves and but what they wouldn't show you. So you can start with what they wouldn't show you and then crack on. Yeah, yeah. Um but but he wouldn't show you the um Times he dropped three in his net in the same week in on match of the day, played Norwich or Bolton their own, and he left Martinez and Wigan down. So, to be honest, I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of his, and still not in retrospect. I think obviously he would have been a cheap deal, but I think we were very well. We were we we did well to avoid Ali Alabsi and his blunders in goal. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of the few boards we dodged under Martinez in the era of Alcaraz coming in and the likes of Nias. People forget Atsu and how what a dreadful loan signing that was. Oh, he was supposed to replace yeah, Dale Fayo. He was supposed to replace Dale Fayo. In another in another life, we could be talking about Christian Atsu. Has got that terrible Newcastle when we could have brought in on loan, but we did it, and he was he must have played about four games. He's absolutely donkey, wasn't he? Was like just that. <laughs> Absolutely, it's chronic, wasn't he? I, I was excited because I was proper high on Martinez fumes the summer we got in because the season before we'd been outstanding. We'd been fifth, finished fifth. It was Martinez's first season, and like you know, I think I'd have let him shag my wife or anything at that point. So he brought in another lone player, and it was like, well, it's Bobby, isn't it? You got to, you know, you got to trust. You know, he knows a player, and then you soon realised in the second season yeah, he doesn't top player. Yeah, I was an. I was so angry back then. I remember once we we played um, Kiev in the um, Europa League, and from that moment, when once he plays Alcaraz and that too, I wanted them gone. That nice at Martinez, I had none of them. Yeah, that was like I remember how bad Atsu was in that game. Alcaraz was took the limelight for being awful, but Atsu was terrible in that game. And so could have Ali Alapsi, but we didn't get to see. But we didn't get to see him. Now, now for one that I think we're all a lot more upset that we didn't get, but we're going back to the summer of 2009 when we didn't have a pot to piss in, let's be honest. But we could have gone for a 1.5 million signing of an 18-year-old Belgian star called Kevin De Bruyne. This is something that, again, I wasn't actually aware that this was a thing back in 2009. And by God, we were linked with some random players. That's all I remember that summer very well. But De Bruyne is a name that I didn't know we were after in 2009. But, Danny, could you have seen this working out? If we had got him, would it have been the career trajectory we'd have seen with De Bruyne have spent 10 years and become, you know, the no. best field in the world playing for David Moyes and Everton? <laughs> Absolutely not. You've got it in one day to have been playing for David Moyes. Even the back the, back then, David Moyes' stock was you know much higher than it is now. But he wouldn't he wouldn't have known what to do with De Bruyne. On I um, that summer, I remember it quite well myself. It was after the FA Cup final, wasn't it? We we had that little splurge after selling Lescott, so we got Distan, Billy Letanov, Heitinger, someone else, Joe, maybe. Joe, maybe. Yeah. But it, yeah. at, the, at that point, you know. Moyes wouldn't have brought in an 18-year-old and played him. He'd have played him in the reserves or in the 23s, whichever it was then. And he would have probably done what like Mustafi and Eric Dyer and people like that did. He'd have probably left without really making an impact at Everton and then he'd have gone on to be the player he's become now. Because, you so know... Effectively he, what De Bruyne did at Chelsea. Yeah, but, um, you know, he, he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have fit at that time because he he wasn't as good as he is now at 18 and Moise was not the type to nurture players like that he, you know he's if he's you know if you don't run you don't play and I don't think that's De Bruyne's game if we just run so I don't remember that but obviously will have been a link but it would have been nice wouldn't it you know in a different in a different timeline that deal comes off and now we've won the lot several times but, but, but on the other hand we have this like one way De Bruyne plays for Chelsea, plays for us the way he played for Chelsea. He doesn't really stake a claim. He moves on and he comes back and does bits for Man City. And we're like, why do you do that here? I know. 
know. Well, it put the chalk that up with the list of um, players we could have got and should have got, but got an absolute donkey instead because we probably got Billy Letanov over him and remember we got Fumes body when we should have had Van Dijk. Oh, God. We've got the ass instead of um, Dembele, at, uh, the one who's at Leon. Moussa Dembele. Right, yeah. People, honestly, I know it's going off topic here, but we're talking about recruitment. People give Steve Walsh pelters for his recruitment. Roberto Martinez's recruitment after that first season was absolutely terrible. He was literally picked the worst donkeys on the planet and put them wherever. Absolutely ass. Aidan McGeady, we haven't even talked about the worst winger oh. of all time. Yeah, crap. Um, honestly, I don't think he brought in. He had, a, he had a stellar first summer and then every single player after that was absolutely shite. No, and like, his first summer was only stellar on deadline day. It was Delafay who come in and done well. Yeah. It was that Alcaraz, Kone and Joe Roberts. 90% yeah. of the signings were nonsense. Yeah, he got Lukaku on loan and I think even then he wanted Denver Bar and we were offered um, Lukaku. That's come out since then that we didn't no, actually... No, I thought we were in for Bar and Lukaku was meant to go to West Brom. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much it. Like, and obviously, Bad, Baddy, Gareth Barry was the only one you could turn around and go, you know what, no one, no one who saw that thought that was going to be as good as it was, and it was. So you give, you, you know, you get credit to all the, all the flops to him. You got to give him credit for one, and the Lukaku loan, even if he had nothing to do with it, or and and the um, Barry deal, you've got to give him those. But then he he did let himself down badly. Like everyone throws the ass at him. McGeezy's another one, you know. Atsu, Alcaraz. Bezic. Bezic, yeah. Didn't mind Bezic at the time, no. Didn't mind Bezic at the time, no, because he, he he was an half-decent like buy and he was quite cheap. So I don't throw Bezic at him as like, that's terrible. It's not his fault that he's still here years after Martinez has left. But, um, yeah, he's still got a lot more losses in his in his column than he's no, got. Though, like, you know, we always got all about like just after the shakes took over Man City and they signed Rabinho just after the machine took over Everton the first sign and was Niaz. Yeah. He he threw him he threw a five year contract onto Luke Garbutt as well, remember? Oh which he's only just Ooh. like left from. Who? <laughs> you know, not Luke's fault. You are gonna take it, aren't you? But it's like just a bad manager, mate. A terrible oh manager. God, nice, man. lovely fella, great fella, but terrible manager. I was having an argument with someone today who said he is recruiting with good. I mean, he said Steve Walsh ruined it all. Martinez knew what he was doing and went all right. Blocked. Jesus. <laughs> Martinez is a he's a he's a good manager. I think he's got the right tactics. I think he, he Martinez has got the right tactics. Well, he's, he you know he he's always like trying coach teams and like he. ブラジルの試合、エスコーズ、when but he's crap at everything else. Like, he, he absolutely ruined Everton for Yonks. Not as much as, you know, the ones who followed him, I don't think, but he, he ruined Everton for Yonks. 
and people still like him now because he just mm-hmm. talks glowingly about us whenever he gets the chance. And even me, when he was, uh, we was talking about Calvert Lewin before the England game, I was like, great fella, crap coach. Well, that's what I mean. He's, you know, he, he is a coach. He's not like just some fella you know in the pub. If he, if he was just your mate, I'm sure he'd be sound, but he, he shouldn't be in charge of football clubs. Honestly, that fault that fault anyway, as soon as we put a banner on him outside in the ground, that was it. He was fit. That was literally the death. No one. What were you saying? That was the case. No, I was yeah. just saying. I was just saying, after that first season, he was probably the worst manager I've ever seen in history. He was garbage. Craig yeah. Shakespeare taking the kids to Cyprus was better, honestly, anyone but him. <laughs> yeah, Martinez's yeah. third season was the lowest of the low. Like, the, I, I, I genuinely think. Martinez's third season was even worse than Silver towards the end. Like Silver was cursed. Silver was cursed with a lot of bad luck. Like things went against him, like last minute fucking, you know, goals and stuff like that. All right, most of it was him as well, but there were some things that weren't him which contributed towards him losing his job. Martinez was all him. We were absolute we were beaten and we were how how many goals were beaten West Ham by and then he brought Nias on. I was just about to say that. Put a pen off Baines and missed it, and then he scored three. It, it, honest to God, just never take me back to that cavalier. No tactics, play the right way, nonsense football, and never want to see it again. Just get it away. We want to, we want to stay under Carlo Ancelotti, or as FIFA have designed him, Paul Hollywood. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're going to have to go back, and Terry's going to love this because we're going to finish this one with two potential signings from January 2018 when I say and Sam Allardyce was the manager. Oh, the half-green <laughs> 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 They both run like they've got a fridge on the back. <laughs> Mate, honestly, <laughs> if we'd have if if we'd have given him the power, imagine the state of us now. We like he was never staying. Like in hindsight, he was never staying. But there was he was acting as if he was. And, you know, myself and probably many others were petrified that he. Oh, you know, like, because I was worried Machiri was going to be taken in by these media knobheads. Like, he's done a good job. He's got the mate. He's done all this going. Can you imagine us if he was picking the players that summer? He, we would have, oh, we'd have had Dini up front. We'd have had Jack Wilshire in midfield. We'd have had Phil Jones at the back. We'd have been the worst football entity ever. Like, we'd... Along with Troy Deeney, do you know we could have had? Because he was linked in this window as well. This is the other name who was on this list. Stephen Enzonzi. Do you know what? He's not bad. He's, you know, he wouldn't have been what we needed at that time. But he was linked because he played for Allardyce at Blackburn, hadn't he? And he'd gone away and he'd done well, you know, abroad. And he's in the France team now. That one wouldn't have been as, you know, vomit-inducing as, like, Deeney and Wilshire and Phil Jones and can you imagine the, the Brexit team? Yeah, imagine that gammon team we'd have with him in charge. It, like, oh, I'd, 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 I'd like, I'd dispute the footy if we, we'd have stuck with Allardyce and he'd have brought in all them. 
I'd have just absolutely give up. I'd have just gone, nah, I can't, I can't. To, uh, didn't see it due to the edits. Owen's dropped out and come back in. Just saying the state of the gammon team Allardyce would have put together. We'd have had like Deeney and Wilshire and Phil Jones and Welbeck and Pete Every we'd have just have had the shittest team ever. Probably so that would have that proper ALO's football, are not it? Oh, it would have just we'd have had Paul Mason on the coaching staff, everything. Absolutely horrendous. I said I, I could take say it again for those at the back. I can take losing, I can take that. It, you know, I just don't want to hate my own team, and I would have probably hated my own team if we had all them players that Allardyce wanted to have. We, he'd assign people off like Soccer Aid, wouldn't he? Like any of the, oh yeah, get them, he may do a good job. Yeah. He's got pace, let's give him a go. Uh, the Sand Ollie Mayers or someone like that. Oh my God. Mark Wright to play at left back. But honestly. Jeremy Lynch. Until... Oh God, yeah, Jeremy Lynch. <laughs> I, I don't know if you could hear me before because I think me might went out, but Aaron, he wanted to sign Aaron Cresswell. Imagine Aaron Cresswell over Luca Dean. He's a copite as well, Aaron Cresswell. Oh. Kevin Nolan would have been bloody second striker still. Oh. I, I say, I, people know I don't have an issue with Sam Allardyce's style of management. I, think, I don't think he's a bad manager, but them signings would have just ended me. <laughs> he would have to four. Cresswell, Dini. Wellbeck, um, Phil Jones, what's um, Wilshire? Wilshire, oh. he would have definitely got. You know, when West Ham got Wilshire, we'd have been all over that. We he'd have loved that. He'd have thought, oh yeah, can build a team around him. You're like, oh. Or as Richard Key said in his blog the other week, proper blokes like Troy Deeney. We'd have signed a load of proper blokes. Proper blokes. Yeah. I don't think Hamas Rodriguez is what you need. Troy, you need proper blokes like Troy Deeney, like characters like Jack Yelker. Can you imagine Finch Farm, Fruit of Porto, these people having a shake with the cubicle door open and that? Honestly, it have been horrendous. When he was on talk floor before Ancelotti, he was big enough Eddie Howe for the job, so we were still trying to screw us over with that. Like a Solanke and Jordan Iron. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Bill Jones. <laughs> Mate, he'd have had that team, he'd have had he'd have had Paul Mason and the coaching staff. Jack Roswell on his page of play deal. <laughs> Mate, I, I, it's almost like I want someone to run a simulation on Football Manager with that team <laughs> and Allardyce as the manager and see how we get on. We'll be in the National League in a few years. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, I'd say put down to Terry's theory of the wheel and the Hadron Collider, but then again, yeah. we've got Carl yeah. Ancelotti now, so, you know, swings him down, hey. perhaps. Hey, never mind having Greta Steinson as a scout. He'd have been on right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Jesus Christ. Just, just, yeah. add, just add a little bit of a continental player with Ivan Campo. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, there you Thank God we didn't get um, we didn't have any any longer with Sam I was going to say thank God we didn't get Sam Allardyce, but unfortunately we did. We got rid of him quickly enough. Thank God we didn't end up with Jack Wilshere at Everton. Thank Christ for that. back to a derby match previews it is the Merseyside derby the first of the season coming up joined by Terry McAllister and Rob Astle uh, we're going to try and dissect it a bit we're going to try and give our uh, initial thoughts who we think might play maybe some predictions towards the end um, we're very hopeful of course both teams coming into this in very good form um, can't really say that about many years uh, so it'll be an interesting one to see how it's going to go today but I'll come to Rob first. Um, I think we should probably start with a quick kind of international break kind of reaction. We've had a lot of players kind of all over the world uh, over the past week or so. There seems to be a lot of international games uh, with England, of course, playing three, uh, which is fairly unusual. But Rob, what's your reaction to the, the Everton players coming out of the international break? Um, I'm just worried that Lucas Dean's not going to be fit. That's my only Absolutely. real uh, concern over it, yeah. Um, I, think we can, I think we can deal without Yeri Mina. Um, I think if he's, if he's not fit... Um, Godfrey or slot in maybe, um, but I think if Lucas Dean's not fit, then we could be in for a tough afternoon down that um, down that left hand side, especially with Mo Salah as well. The form he's in, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, made up for Calvert Lewin as well, getting his goal for England. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that we get everyone back fit and healthy. Um, so fingers crossed, Dean's fit. Yeah, it seems at the moment that Yermin is a, a bit of a doubt. Obviously, he didn't play in Colombia's second game. Uh, Luca Dean is not too much of a major update. We know he came off uh, injured uh, for France, but I'm not sure there's been any kind of official announcement on that, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Uh, personally, I was a bit disappointed to see Cavalu end up playing all three games because he didn't start the third, but I felt, I felt that was quite a few games to play in a very, very quick succession, especially with the derby coming up. Uh, but as Rob mentioned there, Terry, we might be without uh, Yeremina, we might be without um, Luca Dean. There's two players that there's only basically two players that are going to slot in there. So, what are your thoughts, maybe, with Unkuku and potentially a Godfrey debut going into the derby here? I mean, I very much what uh, Rob said with the if you had to lose one, I'd prefer it to be Mina because we've got a more you see, we've I was about to say a more comfortable like for like replacement, but we, we don't even know that you know, Godfrey hasn't played for us yet so. It's not as sure a thing, but it just feels more comfortable putting in a twenty million pound player than putting in like a, a kid who's just been bought, you know, for less than a million. Even though we've seen Nkunku and Nkunku has looked really impressive, but he's looked the most impressive attacking against lower league opposition. So it's just the uh, the prospect of Nkunku against you know Mohamed Salah and Trent Alexander Arnold down the down our left, Liverpool's right. Got to get on with it. Liverpool have got players injured as well. Um, you know, one of their you know their most key players, Allison, their goalkeeper's injured. So if if we get the in, uh, if they are missing for the game, obviously by the time this goes out, we might know a little bit more about Luca Dean because um, I'm sure it'll be one of the first questions Carlo gets asked at his press conference. Um, hopefully, he is fit. But if we have to do without him, if we have to do without him and Mina as well, we'll have, we'll we'll just have to deal with it because. 
it's one of those things. It's 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 you know, I'm not happy that we that we might have to do without them, but we've been playing really well this season. And the, like against Brighton, when we had other key players injured, other players came in and and raised the game, and we're just going to need that again. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Again, it seems like another centre back injury this uh, this season. But obviously, we did bring in Godfrey on deadline day. He does have Premier League experience. Okay, it wasn't the the happiest of campaigns last year for Norwich. He did make a couple of mistakes, but I think he's obviously going to be a very good player. I'd be quite comfortable with him coming in. But Uncoupe is one that I'm kind of in two minds about. Of course, he doesn't really have any 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 Premier League experience. He did play against West Ham, uh, but that was in a cup game. Plenty of rotation from both sides. Of course, he has looked very impressive, but as Terry mentioned, a lot of that is impressive going forwards. We know what Liverpool are like going down the wings. Very dangerous. Rob, what are your thoughts on potentially a Godfrey and Nkuku kind of duo on that left-hand side? Well, one of my questions to you guys then was going to be, could there even be that? Could we, does Carlo then switch formation, maybe go three at the back? Um, Godfrey, and if mean is you know maybe have um, Seamus cool. Holm play right back um, and I forgot the other last name Michael Keane obviously um, you know does he go three at the back and then maybe maybe not risk um, having um, Uncuku uh, play because like you said that that could be a real baptism of fire especially with Trent Alexander Arnold and and Mo Salah so I don't know uh, like Teddy said you just got to get on with it haven't you you know at the end of the day we can only play what we what plays we've got. If we haven't, we'll have to just make make do, and we'll just see what happens, really. Um, but you know, fingers crossed that both of them are, you know, the two main lads are fit to play, and we can go as we have done um, all season so far. Yeah, we're hoping now that, of course, Alan was injured against Brighton, but he will be back now, which is good to see. Um, obviously, Decore, we know he's going to be in the midfield. I think we should maybe spend a moment talking about that third midfield position. Gomez did go into international duty, I think, with a knock. Um, as he, he seems to get quite a few times. Terry, it is it is now, obviously, the 4 3 is the obvious system. Who are you looking to play in that third centre midfield role? Of course, Gov Sigson did have a good international duty. He actually played a striker uh, for Iceland, so that's not really saying much in terms of midfielder, but are you looking to potentially play him over Andre Gomez or are you sticking with Gomez or potentially even Davies for this game? I think it'll either be Gomez or, or Sigurdsson. I can't see Davies taking the place of either of them if they're fit. It's... Um, Either one of them. Like, they both offer very similar things. I think he'll probably go with Gomez because when everyone's been fit, he's picked Andre Gomez over Sigurdsson. And I could, I could imagine he'd do the same thing. Um, Gomez, um, when we're, you know, when we're in defensive sorts of positions, when we're on the back foot or, you know, the, the defensive shape takes hold, he doesn't, like, stay up further up the pitch. He slots in alongside Allen and becomes a double pivot. And his long-range passing could be really useful. You know, the second we get the ball, he can tweet, he can get hold of it. And it's not that he's going to be this destroyer alongside Allen or he's going to, you know, be a shield for the back four for under pressure, but he can release the forward players on the counter-attack. I know Gilfie Sigurdsson can as well, but I think passing-wise, I'd probably give the edge to uh, Gomez. But then Sigurdsson as well has got, you know, very good set-piece delivery and that could be a key thing in the game. But, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. That's a much of a much. I mean, I, I, who I think it will be, I think it'll be Gomez if he's fit. Yeah, and of course, a, a man I've actually just completely forgotten about, of course, Fabian Delph is back as well. Don't know if that's going to change your mind at all, Rob, but do you agree with Terry thinking it's going to be Gomez? Uh, yeah, probably will be. I mean, I mean I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. Who, who could be playing in that number, in that sort of number 10, that advanced role? And 
the same for me either or doesn't really bother me both of the teams to be in decent form at the moment um, but I do think it'll be Gomez just because I think I think he offers a little bit more um, on the defensive side um, but you know whoever it is I'd be, I'd be quite happy with I wouldn't be too disappointed with either really and the, the final position we're all going to have to debate now because um, obviously we're not this isn't a start 11 video I'm sure Greg will have one of them coming up but Pickford again at national duty against Denmark made a made what you could call an interesting decision to come out for the ball, which obviously led to the penalty. There wasn't a penalty, but of course we did side Robin Olsen quite late on on deadline day. I personally don't know much about him at all, um, but Rob, who are you looking to play in goal? Are you sticking with Pickford for now? Are you bringing in the new lad? Take it you're not playing Lowe's or Virginia because they are still <laughs> talking about the club somehow. I think, I think, I think it's Pickford, but I think it's last, it's, you know, he's coming up to last chance saloon with him now. Um, I mean, I was quite critical of him yesterday because that I felt his decision to come out um, kind of distracted Carl Walker and didn't necessarily, obviously he didn't give the penalty away, but I think he contributed to it. And I just think he, he's just a bit of a head the ball, isn't he? I think he's got some, his lack, his concentration just goes sometimes. And I do think he's going to be a last chance saloon now and tomorrow, sorry, tomorrow on uh, Saturday, I think, you know, that's the biggest stage it's biggest stage for us so far this season against Liverpool. It's it's our biggest game of the season, I think, no matter what season. So I think if he if he makes an error then I think that's when we've got to start looking at um looking at the new lad who came in. But I think Pickford starts, but it is it is real like last chance saloon for him. Yeah, do you agree with that, Terry? Yeah, I mean, I think he will start because I don't think Olsen's been brought in to you know walk straight in the team. I think if we'd have got Romero, he might have come straight in. Um, but it's time to stand up and be counted now for Pickford, isn't it? Like he's got the, the manager, this new manager has brought in a second choice keeper on deadline day, so he must know from that that you know messaging that the manager's not happy with his performances. And frankly, if he makes another mistake. In another derby, he's got a long way to come back with supporters. There'll be supporters who will just never, ever, you know, turn around on him because you know if he was to suddenly turn around and be, you know, the Pickford we had in the first season for the rest of this season, then he could easily win supporters back. He probably won't do it, but he could. Like there's, there were supporters who wrote off Mason Holgate. Me, I was one. A um, lot of supporters. Um, Never saw it with Dominic Calvert-Lewin and voted him. Now a crucial players in the team. Pickford's not that far gone that he can't, you know, work his way back. However unlikely it feels at the minute. But if he makes another mistake in another derby and, and you know Touchwood costs us a result, then I don't think he's he's that's it. He's too far gone at that point. So he needs a big game. He needs to be solid. If he concedes goals, there needs to be absolutely nothing he could have done about him. Yeah, he does seem to be kind that... of. Oh, go on, Rob. Yeah, sorry. I, th- I think the thing with Pickford as well is I think what is, what his problem's been this season is and what's caused the errors have been like week after week after week. He had a great game against Spurs in the opening day. You know, he kept us in it. You know, it, it, it late on in the first half, and then after that, it just seems to have just been this decline. But because the games have been so close together, you know, you had the Fleetwood game, then you had the Bright the Brighton game. Um, you know, the West Brom game, he wasn't great in either. And I just think because they're so close together and so and so. It, it's highlighted it a lot more. If these are spread out throughout the season, I think he might, I think he gets away with it. But right now, you know, the pressures it's really really on him. And I, I hope he I hope he performs as well as he did in the um, uh, not the Goodison Derby last year, um, the one before that um, when he played really well. 
Um, he sort of did redeem himself after the, the mistake around field, but like I said, last chance saloon for him for me at the moment. Yeah, it does seem to be kind of playing on borrowed time for me. Uh, I can obviously see him starting in the derby, but who really knows after that? Because obviously there's been questions about Olsen even you know coming in the start eleven. He didn't have a brilliant time at Roma, uh, so we'll have to see how this one develops. But kind of away from start eleven now, um, seven wins from seven so far this season. Confidence is sky high in general. Um, nothing like Merseyside derby to bring us back down. Though Terry, how confident are you in general going into this game? I'm never confident. I've never. I haven't been confident when it wasn't when it wasn't such a problem. Like you know, 2004. You know, back then, even when it wasn't such a you know a hoodoo over us, still wasn't confident. Then I'm not confident for this one. And uh, but I think if you were not an Everton fan with the years of, so say you know, you, know, you could call it trauma. Let's just call it experience. Um, if you haven't got all that behind you and you're not an Everton fan you'd look at this game and think you know what Everton have you know got the best chance in a long time here but that's that's naive we've had better chances and still lost <laughs> we, there was there was one time you know we were flying and David Moyes put a name a second string out and lost 3-0 to a Gerard Attrick just so he could play his proper team in the FA Cup which he then went on to win that round and then got to play Liverpool in the next round and then lost again so it's just it never works like that with the you know we've got a good chance the team's playing well Liverpool aren't playing well I've seen all that and it doesn't make a difference on the day but if you are a neutral you look at this and think you know what this could be the one where Everton put it behind them and you know what this team needs to do it they've already you know banished one demon with the winning away at the top you know Sky 6 ground They've already done that this season. Imagine the the jolts, the boost it would be to win a derby, just to get that off the get that monkey off the back, and then go right. Well, we can beat Liverpool. We can win away at, at AM Sky Six grounds. We can do anything. It's not the be all and end all of our season, but it'd be a huge, huge step in the development of the these players under this manager. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure just talking about experience and trauma. I'm pretty sure. I haven't actually seen Everton win against Liverpool since I was eight, to be fair. So that's a ridiculous record that I definitely <laughs> want to get rid of. Rob, how are you feeling going into this game? Um, I always, I always, like Teddy said, you're never confident in these games. But I always, I always, I'd always like to speak to like other fans of other clubs. You know, the City and United fans feel confident. The this Newcastle and Sunderland fans feel confident going into derbies. I just think it's one of them games where you never want to lose it so much that your confidence goes the closer it gets to it. You know, I, I, to be fair, because of the internationals, I've not really felt it yet. But today was the first time I was like, oh my God, they're playing Liverpool on Saturday. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, confidence. The only time I've ever been confident in beating Liverpool, probably in the last 10 years, was when we uh, was was last year in the FA Cup, when I looked at that team and thought, oh my God, come on, even we've got to beat their kids. And, and we never, so what's the point in even being confident? Just take the game as it comes. I think, I think the game itself was... I think as fans and as a club and as a team, I think it's going to be a real benchmark as, as to where we actually are at the moment. You know, we like like Terry alluded to there, we've beaten a top six side in 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 Spurs. Um, you know, we're unbeaten. If we can come out of this with three points, I think that'll give us that's already a six point lead on the champions. I'm not saying we're going to go and win the league. By the way, I'm not I'm not saying that. But like, it it breeds confidence, and it, it it you think to yourself, well, all right, then let's get to the next international break. And see where we are again, and and keep the confidence going, and and I think 
I think if you get this result against them, I think it'd be massive, absolutely massive. And it'll get a, like a burden off a lot of players' backs as well. It'll buy some players time as well with this with this club. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, I, I echo what you both of you say. And everyone, of course, I'm confident in general, but you're never confident for this game. Um, as I mentioned, I haven't seen us win again since I was eight. It seems like we've had plenty of opportunities before, but it will be a real kind of signpost in terms of the progress we've made under Ancelotti. But, of course... You know, we've never had a, an absolute world-class manager, um, well, in my lifetime anyway, trying to play these. Uh, so I'm quietly confident, of course, but you can never really say what's going to happen. But I'm going to ask you now anyway, Terry, have you got any predictions going into this? I'm going to be a coward and say a 2-2. I don't think it'll be the, <laughs> don't think it'll be the KG 0-0. We've had the last few Goodison derbies. And even the one where there was a, a winning team, that was still a last-second 1-0. They're very tense... Let's be honest, the, the games in that Goodison have been very much, we've you know frustrated Liverpool because they've been a much more settled, much better team than us. And we've been in flux every time. We've got like you know different managers and different, you know, the starting 11s of all the last derbies must be vastly different to everyone that came before it. Whereas Liverpool's probably looks quite similar. Um, so we've just basically frustrated them and got nil-nils. Whereas we've, you know, Weirdly gone for a little bit more in Anfield and lost each time. This time, I think it will be, and it won't be a, a nil-nil because both teams are in good goal-scoring form, but both conceding goals this season and with no no tension from the supporters to sort of put players into their own shells and make them nervous. I think it'll just be a a high-scoring game, but we're quite unfortunate. I think that Liverpool lost in the fashion they did the previous game. I would have preferred us to play them instead of playing Brighton and we could have possibly got that off day instead. <laughs> but they, Liverpool defensively will be a lot more on and I think than, than last game out. So they, they were unfortunate last game out with a lot of deflections and what have you. But the goals that they gave away for what they were doing their own do and they won't be doing you know things like that again. So I think um, I'm going to say 2-2. Terry's going for a 2-2. Rob, what are you thinking? Um, I Well, yesterday I predicted a 2-1 Everton win. And I've thought about that now, and I think it's going to be more. I think it's going to be more. I think it's a game Liverpool dare not lose. To be honest with you, um, I think if they lose it, I think there's huge pressure on them then because it'd be like, oh, what's happened to the champions? You know, they you know they robbed to the league last year and then two defeats in a row, and they haven't looked stable already all this season defensively anyway. Um, I think it'll be a fast and furious opening, but I eventually think it'll settle down to a one-one. I think that's what I'm going to go for: one-one. Uh, I'm going to go for a 2-11 victory, get an early goal, uh, feel nervous for the rest of the game, then nick one on the counter towards the end. And now we're going to move into our quiz, which is going to be a, a Derby Day special. Um, it, of course, we, we have to do this one. Uh, me and John were talking about it before we went into it, and we're pretty sure we haven't done it yet, but we are going to go for an Allardyce Derby 1-1 away to one, uh, at Anfield, of course. Uh, Mo Salah scores that, of course. <laughs> Puskas, did he win that? Goal of the year, whatever that ridiculous oh, God, award yeah. was for yeah. that goal. It wasn't um, even... It was a foul as well in the build-up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Salah beat Kugo Martina. But then, towards the end, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in heroic fashion wins that penalty. Rooney nets it in front of the away fans. Uh, Jurgen Klopp loses his head. 
Uh, but that's a classic Allardyce derby, so we're going to try and talk about the lineup from that now. Um, of course, when I'm in charge of the quiz, uh, I'll everyone play fairly. Uh, don't let Terry win on any dodgy rules or technicalities. Uh, so we're going to go over to the guest first. Rob, uh, would you like to go for your, your first player in the start 11? I'm going to go easy, Cujo Martina. Cujo Martina, of course, did play, did kind of get rinsed by Salah for that. Uh, award-winning goal. Terry, who are you going for next? Another, uh, another tap-in. I'm going to go for Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney, of course, did score the penalty. Rob, over to you. Are we allowed the players off the bench as well? Yeah, of course. If they came yeah, off the yeah. bench, not if they're just on the bench. If they come on, yeah, it's a yeah, substitution. Yeah. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Well, Dominic Calvert-Lewin actually started the game, but yeah, he can, he can absolutely have that one. Um, Terry? Uh, Jordan Pickford. Obviously, John Pickford was involved in that game, Rob. Uh, John Joe Kenny. John Joe Kenny did play uh, in that kind of makeshift defence. That's obviously given yeah, a slight. I remember that. I remember that game. That game was like it was just a, it was like a slap bash of who we could just get fit really in the end. I think, yeah. Basically, yeah. and then maybe that gives a hint to Terry. Terry, who do you want to go for next? Oh, yeah, I remember this was Ardice's back four for a while. Um, Ashley Williams. Ashley Williams did play in that makeshift back four. That's three of them so far. Rob, I don't know if you're going to want to try and get the last one. Oh. Of course, you don't have to. You can pick anyone you like. But I'm not going to pick the other defender, but I'm going to go for the midfield. Okay. And get... Um, the guilty play. Gilfie did start, yeah. Received a yellow card as well. Yeah. Terry? Yeah. Paul Gates. Holgate did complete that kind of. It was a well at the, at the time. Oh, it was a back four. Gonna, I was going to go for Michael Keane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was kind of that back four of three right backs at the time, wasn't it? That was when Holgate yeah. was still kind of wasn't even classed yeah. as a centre half. And then Martina playing on the left, Kenny on the right, and Williams the absolute backbone of that defence. We're worried because we might not have Luca Dean or Yenny. <laughs> <laughs> we got a point with the back four of Kenny Williams, Holgate when he was a kid, and Martina at left back. Oh my word. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've got three more starters left and three more, well, the three used substitutions, Terry. Uh, oh, wait, we just had Terry. Am I getting mixed up here? No, yeah, we just yeah, had Terry. Oh, yeah, we have. It's over to you, Rob. Oh, um. Morgan Schneidlin. Schneidlin came off the bench, yeah, in the 45th minute. Uh, Terry? Patricia Garnagay. Yeah, also started in the midfield. No. I was going to go for it. I was, was going to. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to commit to that one because I don't think it's right. <laughs> uh. So we got one more starter left. Was that sorry? Got two more starters and two of the use of. So you got the back four. One midfielder, one one forward, uh, who started. A defender and a midfielder came on. Did... Oh no, I was too early for that. Gonna have to push uh... it up for an answer, Rob. We've only got so long on these on these <laughs> podcasts these days. Um... <laughs> Did did Vlasic start on the right? Vlasic did not start on the right, but but because you went first, Terry's going to have to answer this correctly. Or back to Rob, Terry, <laughs> can you finish it off uh, here? Uh, Thomas of Davies. Of course, he was the final midfielder that started, and Terry 
Sadly, wins this quiz. We had Sigurdsson on the left with Martina and it was a shambles. And we had a middle three of, of Rooney, Gay and, and Davies, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. we did. While, while, yeah. while Terry picks his song, do we want to try and rattle off the last three uh, that played? That's, that line-up was horrendous. How did we get anything off Liverpool? That's a, it's absolutely terrifying. That's, looking back at it, yeah, I feel a lot better about this derby now, even though I shouldn't say that because it'll jinx it. But yeah, we've got a yeah. forward left, a midfielder left and a, and a defender. Did Jack Yalka come off the bench? Yeah, he did in the 83rd minute. Uh, looked to close out that 1 1. Yeah, yeah. Special Allardyce performance. <laughs> um, um, neither of these players are at the club anymore. Shock. <laughs> um, <laughs> Luckman? No, no Luckman. No. Um, I'm not even sure if he was on the bench, actually. Uh, no, Luckman was on the bench, yeah, as was Flasic. Um, who didn't come on? Michael Keane was on the bench. Who didn't come on? Why were we playing Michael Keane? I'm I'm slightly confused at that defence. I thought we were playing three right backs. He had a funny cut on the top of his foot that he kept struggling to come back from properly. Oh, right. And Allardyce had a little run at the start. If you remember with that back four, so Holgate and Williams actually made an half decent partnership because Williams <laughs> was the stopper and Holgate was the pace. Um. So I didn't want to change it. I remember that very because we hadn't we'd hardly won a game before we got Allardyce and people didn't mind Allardyce at first because we started winning regardless of how we'd done it. It was only when we got like comfortable we started to realise how much we didn't like Allardyce. Was Aaron Lennon one of them? He came off was the bench it? Yeah. at half time yeah. Yeah, for Tom Davies. And then there's one player left. Uh, last last chance before I read it out. It's not who come off the bench? No, no, he started up front. He start. He started. He started. I, I can't even remember the. I can't even remember the. It wasn't Umar. Surely not. It was Umar. The ass. Just shut the up. He started that game. I think he did. He yeah. started. He started that game mentally, and we got a point. And we got a point. I don't. I mean, personally, I don't believe it, but that's what it says on my phone right now. So clearly, they <laughs> should. They should be ashamed of themselves. That is. That is. I'm no wonder. That, actually, looking back at it. No wonder. Um, Klopp was going mad if he'd lost if he dropped points to that. <laughs> Terry, have you uh, have you decided on your end of end of show song as you've won the no. quiz again? Not quite. How's, how's that feel? It's almost that I won the quiz again. Uh well <laughs> it's easy when I'm not taking part to be fair. If I'm hosting it's it's very easy for you to win. But <laughs> when I'm back playing against you then then you won't be as uh, as confident. <laughs> I will pick a song now I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing on your phone the whole time? While we were trying to figure out who Umani Ass was starting up front. <laughs> um, I'm trying, you know, it's not I'm struggling to pick one. I'm struggling to pick one I haven't picked already because I win that many quizzes, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought, you, I thought you might say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm also going to try and pick one that people want to immediately switch off when they hear it because. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, God, get to Derby there. You should have gone with Spirit of the Blues. I've done yeah, that recently. Have you done it? <laughs> and of course, um, if you want to watch the Derby, just head down to the cinema. We could give that a mention towards the end of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. So don't try going um, to the ground, but if you fancy heading down to your, your local view, you might you might catch a show. <laughs> I'm going to go for, just because I've seen it in the list, and why not? And it could apply to. I think I'll apply it to Dominic Calvert-Lewin for his meteoric rise this season. The song by Tenacious D, Wonderboy. 
we continue the streak of me not having a clue of any of the songs Terry have ever picked. <laughs> Rob, are you, are you aware of this one? Uh, I'm not, to be honest with you, no. You've, you've heard one. It was a single when they did tributes. I mean, just Jack Black, it's an interesting. I've absolutely never heard it. I've never heard of any song that Terry's literally ever played on the channel, but that's it for our podcast today. Thank you all very much for uh, listening to all the segments we've had. Uh, thanks to Rob and Terry for joining me. Of course, check out the Top of Boost social media. Uh, we'll be back with more content, of course, next week. Let's hope for a positive Derby game. Maybe we're going to win this one, maybe not. Uh, maybe next time we do a preview, I could say I finally managed to actually watch for myself a Derby win. So thank you all very much for watching uh, and join us next time. Or watching, listening. Thank you very much uh, for listening and join us next time on the Top of Boost podcast. about young nasty man, arch rival and nemesis of Wonder Boy, with powers comparable to Wonder Boy. What powers you have? I don't know, how about the power of flight? Did they do anything for you? It's levitation, Holmes. How about the power to kill a yak from 200 yards away? With mind bullets! That's telekinesis, Kyle. How about the power to move you? Of which have never been seen, and they call themselves Tenacious D. That's right.